finally, with this announcement, we do get some clarity in terms of how Aussie is going to treat these accounts. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Canada's banking regulator cracked down on HISA ETFs in a long-awaited ruling. In today's episode, portfolio managers Alfred Lee, Chris McKaney, and your host, Andrew Vachon, digest OSFI's decision and provide places to part cash. They also discuss the latest Fed and Treasury announcements, the likelihood of a technical recession, and developments from the Bank of Japan. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit BMOETFs.com. That's B-M-O-E-T-F-S dot com. Hello, and welcome back to our BMO ETFs Weekly Insight Podcast with our team of experts. Thank you to everyone who continues to tune in and provide comments and questions each and every week. I'm today's host, Andrew Vashon from Product at BMO Global Asset Management. Today, I'm joined by Alfred Lee and Chris McKinney from our BMO Portfolio Management Desk. Thanks for joining me today, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. Great. Uh, let's just dive right in here. Yesterday was a busy day with the Fed rate decision and the Treasury refunding announcement. We saw a lot of volatility in the Treasury yields, with the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield dropping approximately 17 beeps yesterday. Alfred, can you comment on what drove this volatility? And is it still too early to add duration to a portfolio? Yeah, so it was a very busy day indeed, um, just in terms of what was going on in the bond market and what was impacted in terms of bond yields as well. So, we did start the day off with a couple of economic data points. Uh, we got the ADB, ADP numbers and the ISM numbers as well, uh, both of which came in less than expected, so a little bit worse than expected, which I think created a little bit of uh, risk-off sentiment with, uh, uh, with bond yields and in the market, uh, just because it illustrated the economy was losing a little bit of steam, and as such, it made bonds a little bit more appealing than uh, equities for investors. So uh, to start the day off, we started seeing some downward pressure on bond yields. Uh, but as you mentioned, you know, yesterday uh, was a FOMC day. Um, FOMC days tend to dominate uh, the economic calendars of most investors. But I think the bigger event that actually took place yesterday was the Treasury refunding announcement. So uh, usually this announcement tends to be a non-event. What this announcement usually outlines is basically the Treasury's needs uh, in terms of what they need to issue in the upcoming auctions, and it outlines also which duration needs they need as well. So just in terms of you know what issuance they, they're going to need, but also uh, what issuance across the curve as well. So prior to the auction, there were some concerns that uh, the supply would increase by quite a bit, which would add further um, upward pressure on bond yields across the curve. But when the actual announcement came out, uh, the actual number was $776 billion which is still a pretty big number, but it was still a little bit less than what the market anticipated. So that was a little bit of a good news. Um, it did uh, help out bond yields a little bit. Uh, the FOMC announcement capped off the day, so no surprise men on that front. So the Fed basically chose to keep its overnight rate uh, basically unchanged for the second meeting in a row. 
Um, so it was widely anticipated by the market. The Fed, however, did cite that higher yields across the curve. So we have seen a normalization of the yield curve over the last couple of months. Uh, so because we've been seeing higher yields across the curve, uh, the Fed did note that tighter monetary conditions would allow the Fed to basically have to do less. So they would have to rely less on increasing its overnight rate just because longer bond yields were doing some of its work. So keep in mind, um, you know, with longer bond yields, some of the products are priced using longer term bond yields. So mortgages is a good example of this. Uh, so that would potentially sap out some demand from the market and help out with inflation as well. So this basically further cements what we've been anticipating from the Fed. Um, you know, over the last couple of months, we have been noting that, you know, it's clearly shifted towards a policy that's more data dependent. So it's going to use more afford guidance in terms of uh, using a hawkish tone to get the population to hold off on things like larger uh, ticket purchases without having to put much uh, pressure on households by avoiding to have to raise its overnight rate. Looking at where the yield curve is right now, I think you know, the U.S. Treasury curve, uh, you know, in my opinion, I think has more to normalize. So um, keep in mind, you know, the last year, year and a bit, uh, the yield curve in the U.S. and Canada have been, have been inverted. So if you look at the overnight rate now, and if the common consensus is that the overnight rate will not change that much, uh, that means longer term bond yields probably need to go up a little bit more, um, especially if we believe that the yield curve is going to further normalize here just in order to compensate investors for taking on some term risks. So in terms of adding to duration to a portfolio, um, you know, personally, I think it is a little bit still too early. But I think if you are looking out further out, you know, three to five years, it probably is a, not a bad time, but one way of implementing duration into a portfolio that we've been highlighting over the last year, year and a half is, is basically using a barbell strategy. Um, so um, combining something like ZSU, which is our short-term U.S. investment-grade ETF, overweighting that on the short end of the curve in order to uh, get some credit and higher yield, but then also adding something like ZTL, which is our long-term U.S. Treasury ETF. I think that's a good way and a very prudent way of adding duration to a portfolio by using that barbell approach. Great. Thanks for that insight. It'll be interesting to see what the Fed does on their next decision. Does market volatility have you wondering where to go to ride out the storm? Not all cash equivalents are created equal, and BMO's money market and ultra-short-term bond ETFs offer several high-quality options to park client cash. To learn more, visit BMOETFs.com and search for tickers ZUCM, ZMMK, ZST, and ZUS. According to the latest data from Stats Canada, Canada is headed for a technical recession. Chris, what does that mean for the end investor? And what should they be looking at when positioning their portfolio? Yeah, thanks, Andrew. As you said, the latest data from Statistics Canada, not very promising for Canada in terms of GDP growth expectations. Maybe, first of all, we'll back up. You know, you mentioned technical recession. What is a technical recession? The definition really is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth uh, is what qualifies as that technical recession definition. And so with Q2 in the rearview mirror, very, very slightly negative in Q2, Canada's GDP was negative 0.19%. So that counts as your first negative GDP growth quarter. 
Now we're looking into Q3 and trying to get some signs as to what Q3 is going to bring. Uh, the month-over-month month data saw July as flat and August also as flat. And as you mentioned, Stats Canada recently came out with sort of the flash estimate for September. Uh, and that also came in as flat. So really, we're looking at a, a, a third quarter in 2023 of being right around that zero percent and if it does shade slightly to the negative uh, we would then meet that technical uh, recession definition of two negative uh, gdp quarters and of course expectations for q4 is that further slowing is coming and so even if we're able to dodge that again technical definition of a recession if q3 is slightly positive or flat uh, we are likely to see negative GDP growth in Q4. Um, and essentially that means, you know, uh, so far here in 2023, we are essentially flat in terms of GDP growth. And so if Q4 is negative, um, that would bring the year uh, for Canada to be slightly negative as well. One other thing just to keep in mind is that this GDP growth or, or lack of it is happening with, with record amounts of immigration happening here in Canada. And so on a per capita basis, we are already very negative uh, in terms of GDP growth here in Canada. And so, you know, what does that mean really? I think what it means is we are likely at the end of interest rate hikes at least here in Canada, um, you know, we were talking uh, in the previous question about uh, Federal Reserve and, and what's happening south of the border. Um, I think this is where we might start to see divergence uh, between the two economies and the two central banks. And more likely than not, that the Bank of Canada's next move is going to be a cut rather than a hike. Uh, in fact, we have heard Bank of Canada members starting to talk about the possibility of rate cuts if inflation uh, does come back down. And so I think the scenario where you would see continued hikes is if that inflation number really stays high or, or, or moves higher than what we've even seen recently. So, you know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that, but hard to see that happening when GDP growth is flat or negative, but, you know, that stagflation environment is still a possibility. But for investors and, and how to look at this, you know, if we are at or at least near the end of rate hikes here in Canada and whether we're in a technical recession or not, you know, again, flat to negative GDP growth with, with continued slowing coming, um, I think, you know, equity investors should really look at those defensive sectors that really have been out of favor, you know, for most of uh, 2023 and, and particularly in, in, in Q3. When we're looking at sectors, things like utilities, so ticker ZUT, the BMO Equal Weight Utilities ETF, um, you know, generally a rate sensitive type of equity sector. If we do see interest rates um, start to move back downwards, at least on the longer term part of the curve, utilities could fare very well in that type of environment. Uh, and the other option potentially for investors, not necessarily from a sector point of view, but looking more for a factor to play in this scenario. Low volatility equities generally are exposed to a lot of those rate sensitive sectors like utilities, consumer staples, and you know ZLB, the ticker BMO, low volatility Canadian equity ETF would make a lot of sense from a factor perspective. First of all, you're maintaining that equity growth potential, uh, but you're doing it with you know a little bit more conservatism and a little bit more of an approach where when if we are heading into a recession, if we are going to see continued slowdown in GDP growth, uh, low volatility tends to tilt towards those companies that are a little bit more boring, maybe not as much growth potential overall, but should see continued 
um, business through a slowdown or, or through a recession. So, you know, from a sector point of view, we again, we like the utilities as a defensive play, uh, low volatility equities uh, for that factor exposure uh, across sectors. Great. Thanks for those insights, Chris. Appreciate it. Gentlemen, we finally got the long-awaited ruling for HISA ETFs earlier this week. Alfred, can you comment on how this is going to impact yields for, for HISA ETFs and potentially the investor appetite for these types of products going forward? It was definitely a long wait. But as you mentioned, you know, the we finally did get the announcement earlier this week on uh, HISA ETFs. So OSFI, which is the independent regulator and it governs, you know, the financial institutions in Canada, basically have been looking at HISA products over the last several months. I think they started looking in, in May. So it's been a pretty lengthy and extensive consultation. Um, but HISA products, you know, just for uh, background for some of our listeners, uh, they're basically just a combination of savings accounts and also an ETF as well. So they have you know, the benefits of higher yields and preferential yields of a savings account. But they also have the liquidity of an ETF having intraday liquidity as well. So the concern that regulators had is that, you know, unlike a GIC or a savings account where the assets tend to be a little bit more sticky, uh, funds held in a HISA ETF could potentially be quickly liquidated by investors, um, especially if we've seen or if we especially if we see, you know, the rate environment quickly change or let's say if equities start rallying and then you see uh, people moving from cash to to risk assets. So OSFI had an issue uh, just in terms of, you know, whether uh, if we saw a quick and, and mass withdrawal of funds, uh, that would obviously create an issue for some of the banks, given that banks do have strict regulations in terms of how much capital they need, uh, in terms of, you know, how much they have to hold in terms of buffer against potential loan losses, for example. So the change or the ruling that OSFI uh, announced earlier this week uh, does mean that the money invested in HISA ETFs would be reclassified from retail deposits to wholesale deposits. So that effectively means that the yield offered in HISA ETFs would effectively have to drop. Uh, so this will take effect on January 31st in 2024. But the estimates in terms of how it will impact yields on HISA ETFs is that uh, they'll, they'll likely fall by about 50 basis points, bringing them roughly in line with uh, what money market ETFs have to offer. So, you know, the good news, I think, is that finally with this announcement, we do get some clarity in terms of, you know, how Aussie is going to um, treat these accounts. Also, I think it provides a lot of clarity just in terms of what uh, investors uh, need to do or want to do. I don't think we're going to see a mass exodus of capital flowing out of ETFs, uh, but I think you know, if you are an investor and you're looking at, you know, a, a cash or a cash-like ETF or somewhere to park money, if you have the option of picking between a money market ETF or a HISA account, uh, the likelihood is that, you know, the money market ETF and that HISA account, in terms of a yield perspective, they're going to be pretty even. So at this point, because the T-bill or a money market ETF, all the funds or all the capital or instruments that are invested in by that but that money market ETF is going to be all held in the custody um, of that fund. So it's always going to be available. So if there is a mass uh, move from cash to equities or, or risk assets in general, um, all those assets are going to be available for investors to withdraw. So we do have a number of cash or cash-like ETFs available for investors. Uh, we have ZMMK, which is our Canadian money market ETF, uh, ZUCM.U, which is our U.S. 
cash management ETF that invests in T-bills. And for investors looking for ultra-short-term bond ETFs, uh, we have ZST, which is our ultra-short-term bond uh, ETF that invests in investment-grade Canadian bonds less than one year, and also the U.S. equivalent, which is ZUS, uh, which is the ultra-short U.S. uh, corporate bond ETF. So a number of different options, uh, but I think with cash being such a high-demand asset right now, uh, there are a lot of options available available to investors. And the good news is that with the OSFI ruling, it does provide a lot of clarity in terms of give leeway just in terms of what investors uh, need to do in terms of where to place cash going forward. Thanks, Alfred. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of interest around these cash products right now. Will the economy see a soft, hard, or no landing scenario? In portfolio manager Alfred Lee's latest quarterly update on positioning, he shares why inflation remains firmly in the driver's seat and provides solutions to today's pressing market challenges. Access the Q4 Portfolio and Fixed Income Strategy Reports now at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. On another note, in the international developed markets, we saw the Bank of Japan signal that they they may eventually step away from yield curve control and the ultra low interest rates that implies. What does this mean for investors and and how does one position for it? Chris, I'll I'll give this one to you. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. And as you mentioned, what we saw from the Bank of Japan recently, really the last major developed country that is clinging to very, very low interest rates, you know, essentially zero interest rates on the short end. Uh, and, you know, really this bank goes a step further than other Western central banks and not only controlling the short end of the curve, but also the long end of the curve. Uh, for some time now, the Bank of Japan has had a, a cap of 1% on uh, 10-year rates uh, of of Japanese government bonds. Now, recently, that was actually increased from 50 basis points up to 1%. And so we've already seen a little bit of loosening uh, on that cap. And what they announced recently was, uh, you know, really a slight adjustment in terms of positioning. Um, What they've done is taken that 1% cap, and, and now they refer to it as a reference point. So it's not a hard cap anymore. Um, is in essence what the Bank of Japan announced. And so this leads investors to believe that interest rates could move even further than that 1%. However, this was actually foreseen by the market as something that would happen. Uh, and in fact, the market was hoping for the bank to to go even further uh, with the loosening of that cap. And so actually disappointed the market and that caused the yen to sell off uh, even further than it already has over the last, um, you know, call it one or two years or so. What we ended up getting was a strong response from the equity markets. Um, you know, obviously, if inflation is starting to tick up, if there is some element of inflation and, and the need for rates to start to normalize and move up, generally, that's a good sign for the economy overall and a good sign for equities. The other thing that actually boosted the equity market is that Japan generally is an export-oriented market, and so a weaker currency actually helps most of those equities. And so because the yen, you know, fell on this news significantly, um, that also provided a tailwind to uh, to equity returns. And so I think, um, you know, investors can gain more confidence, particularly equity investors can gain more confidence that this economy is starting to normalize along with uh, the rest of the Western world. Of course, there's a lot of catch up to do in terms of where their interest rates are. 
but you know that slow approach towards normalizing uh, interest rates and and doing it what looks like in a in a, a slower, more prudent fashion, not wanting to increase volatility on those longer term rates in particular very much. This actually sets up a, a very nice environment for the equity market, and so you know investors can look at ZJPN, uh, the BMO Japan Index uh, ETF uh, here here at BMO uh, to get that exposure to the equity market. And I would suggest using the hedged to Canadian dollar version, so that's ZJPN.F or slash F depending which system you're looking at. And that just removes all that currency volatility out of the uh, out of the portfolio. We've seen the yen weaken very significantly over the last two years, and, and it looks like this is going to be the third year in a row that this is happening. Many investors might count on a rebound or, or reversal of that. And so anyone looking to um, you know, maybe take on that risk, um, stay unhedged. But, I, you know, I don't really see any signs that that's going to slow down anytime soon. So, um, you know, instead of trying to to foresee what might happen with that currency, uh, simply get exposure to the equities and, and do it on a hedge to CAD basis. Um, so you're isolating that equity return and not having to worry about where the yen's going to go. Great. Thanks for that recommendation, Chris. Appreciate it. That's all we have for today. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and a special thank you to Alfred and Chris for providing some fantastic insights on the current environment that we're in. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Thank you to Andrew Vachon, Alfred Lee, and Chris McKaney for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO Low Volatility Canadian Equity ETF, ticker ZLB, which is designed to provide exposure to a low beta-weighted portfolio of Canadian stocks. Our experts also discussed the latest policy developments from the Bank of Japan. The BMO Japan Index ETF, ticker ZJPN.F, provides exposure to large and mid-cap Japanese equities and is hedged back to Canadian dollars, removing currency volatility. For more information about the other ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the ETF Center at BMOETFs.com. That's BMOETFS.com. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if any, all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus before investing. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. BMO Global Asset Management is a brand name under which BMO Asset Management Inc. and BMO Investments Inc. operate.